0: Crosspoint, welcome, good morning, great to see everyone here. Um, Such a blessing to be able to gather and sing these great hymns led by our worship team from which we are very grateful. And um, just want to extend a warm welcome to everyone. For those of you obviously that are here and those of you who are joining us online as well, we're grateful to have you. I'm going to be sharing some announcements and I'll be doing it quick. Women are going to have an event, like a game night, on Saturday night, June 4th, and uh, you're all invited, all the women, all right? We are blessed to have a lot of women in our congregation, and so we want to invite you to this game night, kind of a social event, have some fellowship, get to know each other a little bit better, and, um, and enjoy that time. That's June 4th from 6 to 8 p.m., um, We also have scheduled a Meet the Leaders Lunch on June 12th. So what that is, is for anybody who's been joining us uh, here at Crosspoint for the last maybe six months, or since the last time we had our last Meet the Leaders Lunch. So if you've never, if you're fairly new to our congregation and you've never joined us at a Meet the Leaders Lunch, we would want to invite you to that. It'll be after, at noon, after the uh, Spanish service, Um, and so anybody who's new wants to get to know who the leaders are, what this church is about, kind of get to know everybody, we would invite you to that. So we'll be announcing that and asking you to RSVP people. We're hoping to have, uh, I kind of made a list, and I counted about 20 people that, that should be attending that. If, so if you've been here a month, two months, three months, we invite you to be part of that, Meet the Leaders Lunch. June 12th at noon. We're looking forward to uh, Father's Day on the 19th. We'll plan on having a combined service like we did for Mother's Day. A lot of you have expressed how much you enjoy having both groups together and um, just being able to see each other, spend some time with one another. And you also enjoyed a breakfast, so we're thinking let's have a, a breakfast as well for in honor of the dads here at Cross Point. We're thinking steak and lobster maybe, I don't know, uh, Something comparable to what we have for Mother's Day. How's that? But we're looking forward to that. A great time to invite uh, men in your lives, dads that uh, need to be in fellowship with, with God. Let's see here. I am very excited that growth groups began a couple of weeks ago. We have about, about 90 people signed up. So I want to encourage you to continue attending those. Make sure you're plugged in. Make sure you're learning. Make sure you're being encouraged and you're being uh, challenged uh, by the curriculum, by God's word. And even very challenging thing, by the way, is, is the social part of it. Like for you to get to know, come out of your shell, kind of tear down some of those walls that we all build so that we you know, keep each other safe from everybody else. That's part of the process in a growth group for you to be able to get to the point where you're able to just kind of be open and transparent and vulnerable. And in doing that, you're going to find a lot of healing for yourself, and you're going to find that you're going to be empowering other people and encouraging them as well. I want to invite you to Young Adults Meeting tonight, Young Adults Ministry, uh, 6 o'clock. So anybody 18 and over, up to 30-something, you're invited to join us. And um, we're going to have a bit of a pizza-tasting not contest, but we're going to see who's got the best pizza around here in Whittier. Uh, and then we're going to have, I'm actually going to give my testimony and share with you guys. So if you're 18 or thereabout, up to 30-something, we invite you to join us. I think you have a great time, and hopefully our prayer is that you'll be blessed by that. Tonight here at church at 6 p.m. A couple of cool things that happened this week that I would love for you to know. One is our very own Sophia Robles graduated yesterday from School of Ministry, Worship Ministry. She graduated, and uh, so a big round of applause. Our congratulations to Sophie, uh, praying for her and wishing her the best as she follows the Lord. And then also, some of you may or may not know, Sarah Orozco got engaged this weekend, yesterday. Sarah Orozco of the Orozco's with Frank So we congratulate them, and uh, we're praying for them and hope that uh, all will go well with their, their life together and their wedding and their plans and preparations and all that good stuff. If you know them, reach out to them, congratulate them, let them know you're praying for them. I think they'll appreciate that. That's it for announcements. If you did not grab one of these on your way in and you wish to participate in celebrating the Lord's Supper... Uh, raise your hand and, and uh, Jason will run by and and give you one. All right, so just raise your hand and we'll we'll get you one. Uh, if you do have one, I want us to look at Titus chapter two verses eleven through thirteen. Titus chapter two. This is Paul writing to a young man named Titus gives them all kinds of great instructions in these three chapters. But in chapter 2, for our intents and purposes, and what we want to do here is as we take communion, we we want to prepare ourselves and our minds. And I don't know about you, but Sunday morning sometimes seems to be like a rushed thing, and you kind of get here to church, and maybe your mind is not exactly ready to receive God's word or to take the Lord's communion or you've had a busy week or you're tired or you stayed up last night or whatever it is. This is a way for us to really focus on what it is that we get to do as we gather. Don't don't ever let it become this just ritual or meaningless ritual, but this is a way for us to celebrate what the Lord has done for us, to proclaim it, and to remind ourselves how blessed we are because of what Jesus, our Lord, did for us. So Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13 says... For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And listen to this description of him. Who gave himself for us. That he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. I would love to preach on this, but I'm not. But listen to Paul telling Timothy and, and the consequent readers of this letter, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Jesus, God in the flesh, gave himself for you. For what reason? That he might redeem you or buy you back from what? From every lawless deed, every sin, and to purify you for himself and make you his own special people who are zealous for good works. That's what Jesus, our Lord, accomplished at the cross. He did it because he loved us. He gave himself for us in order that through his sacrifice and through his payment, he would buy us back And once belonging to him, he would make us his own special people. That's who you are. For those of us that struggle with identity and self-worth, you need to do nothing other than look at what the Bible says who you are. He died for all of your lawless deeds, all of your sins, and he purifies you through his righteousness and through his blood shed at the cross to make you his own special people. And he wants us to be zealous for good works, We should be excited about doing good works in his name. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today during the message. And so as you peel back the first layer here and you take the bread, which symbolizes and it reminds us of the body, the sinless body of our Lord Jesus Christ that hung on that cross on our behalf. Let's take that together. And as you peel back the second layer there, it reveals the Jews, which symbolizes and reminds us of the precious blood of Jesus Christ our Lord that was shed on our behalf, the very payment, his life, for our sins. Let's take that together. And let's pray. Gracious Father, we're so grateful to you for this wonderful morning. We're grateful that you would allow us to gather in your name in order that we would lift it up that we would proclaim your goodness and your grace and your love as demonstrated through your willingness to give up your only begotten son, that he would take our place at the cross of Calvary. We are the deserving ones of punishment and rejection. And yet, our Lord took that upon himself. We are eternally grateful for that. And we want to be what's described here, your own special people that are zealous for good works. We want to shine your light we want to show your love to people around us that you will be glorified we pray that you would lead us this morning as we spend time in your word and we look at at matthew and and our lord jesus calling him out of the tax office and this world to follow you that we would do the same we ask that you would lead us pray for your blessing we ask this in the wonderful mighty name of jesus our lord and savior amen Great, beloved. Let's get right to it. So this morning, as you know, we've been going through the gospel according to Luke, and today we are in chapter 5. We're going to finish chapter 5, although I'm always going to feel a little guilty that we don't get to spend as much time as I would like in certain sections. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27, all the way to the end of the chapter, which is verse 39, so about 13 verses, 12, 13 verses. And there's a couple of portions that I'm just going to read. I'm gonna mention something slightly short about it, and, uh, but we're gonna focus on one portion, but we're gonna read the whole thing, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll start chapter six. Deal? All right. So, Luke chapter five, verses 27 through 39. The title for this morning's message is A Feast for Friends. A Feast for Friends. And the main point that I would love for us to get out of this uh, message this morning is that God is glorified when His children, that would be us, God is glorified when His children introduce their friends to Him. God is glorified when we bring our friends and introduce them to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that through the story of Matthew. So here we go. Luke chapter 5. Starting in verse 27. It reads like this. So, just as a reminder, not last week because we uh, had Mother's Day, and then not the week before that because Luis Robles preached, but the last time I preached from Matthew, sorry, from Luke, we talked about the paralytic. Remember, his four friends took him to the feet of Jesus for healing and the Lord using that opportunity to proclaim his deity, the fact that he is God and able to forgive sins. And then this is the next uh, narrative that continues here. Verse 27 says, After these things, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then he said to them, why do, your, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst with the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better." All right. So let me do something a little bit backwards. I'm going to address the last two portions, this parable and this teaching or addressing of fasting. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. And then I'm going to come back to the first portion we read, which was the calling of Matthew and what he did after his calling. All right. So going backwards, the end of chapter five, it talks about a parable of the cloth and the wineskins and... So now if you drink wine, you buy it in a bottle. But back in the day, you used to put it in a wine skin, right? And you used to put, some of you guys are smiling and laughing like, All all right, so you would put new wine in new wine skins because as it ferments, it grows, it expands, and the elasticity of the wine skins was able to hold and not break. But if you took an old wine skin and you poured new wine in it, as it ferments and it grows and expands, because that old wineskin had already expanded, it would run the risk of bursting and not, ruin, not just ruining the wineskin, but, you know, spilling all the, all the new wine. So that's something that we wouldn't know unless we studied and somebody would tell us about that. Um, and what is, what is the Lord, why is the Lord saying that? This is actually very important because what the Lord brought in, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, was new to the hearers, to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel had become very settled in their, in their customs, and their traditions, in their Judaism. They had gone away from the heart of the law. They were, they were idolizing the Sabbath, for example. We're going to read a lot about that in Luke. And so here you have these religious leaders that were stuck in the past And when Jesus comes and says, this is the new covenant in my blood, this is the new way, I am the fulfillment of the law, those people were stuck in the past and not willing to receive this new message, which wasn't really new, but it was a clarification or a fulfillment of the old. So that's important. it relates to us because many of us come from from religions outside of Christianity, Right? Or we were religious, and so now we come to a church where we don't teach religion. We teach uh, having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But all of us come with this spiritual baggage. And we have to be willing to be humble enough to seek the Lord and what He wants for us in this new relationship with Him. And not be stuck in our old ways. And inevitably, all of us, if we come from somewhere else, have old ways in which we are stuck. Sometimes we don't even realize it. And 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 the way we get stuck in these old ways can be so problematic because it, they, you, generally they cause divisions. And before you know it, we're fighting about which version of the Bible we should be using. And, you know, we should only be using this one. And um, I, I get a lot of questions. Why do we celebrate communion every Sunday? We used to do that once a month in my old church and, you know, and and all these things, are not because we found them in the Bible, because we bring in the spiritual, cultural, religious baggage with us, and we start defending our uh, religion and traditions versus looking at what the Scripture says. And so the Lord is addressing a big part of that. But in those times, obviously, after the cross of Jesus, you're talking about a new covenant, a new way of God relating with people through Jesus Christ, no longer through the Old Testament rituals and ceremonies that pointed at him. I know that makes sense to, to most of you. If, if this doesn't, don't worry. Maybe for you it was more the application. When you come to Christ, you have spiritual baggage. You want to make sure that you get rid of that, and you focus on him, and you go forward. You don't get stuck in the past. You want to, be, have, you want to have this biblical perspective now. And then, before that, verses 33 and 30 through 35, uh, as they're in the feast, uh, people come and ask the Lord, and they ask his disciples and say, hey, John's disciples and then the Pharisees, they fast all the time, but you guys, you guys are like party animals, that's not what they said, but you guys eat and you drink and you seem to be happy, like, what's going on? And the Lord addresses that and says, look, uh, While the bridegroom is here, you can't make people all sad. Maybe when he leaves, you know, people are going to miss him, and they're going to fast and and change the way they do it. But right now, it's like it's celebration. It's the bridegroom, Jesus, is here. But I want to address fasting because I get this question quite a bit. Hey, Mike, how come we don't fast as a church? Do we fast as a church? And it's interesting that the Lord, we're told in in the Scripture that once, that the Lord fasted. Now, he he may have fasted much more than that. But we're kind of told once that he that he fasted, and and many times in the New Testament when fasting is addressed, it's actually looked on. Not that fasting is looked on in a negative way, but the way that the religious leaders were using fasting is criticized by the Lord. What was happening is people were fasting, and it's we even find that in the Old Testament. And listen to this, because this has some pretty uh, broader implications. Anytime you do something in the physical realm, you want to be careful that you don't think that because of what you do in the physical realm, somehow that's earning you points in the spiritual realm, or just because you're doing it in the physical realm. And fasting is one of these. You look at fasting in the Bible, and it says if you're going to fast, that's a personal thing between you and God. The minute you go around saying like, hey, man, ha." first you come in like not showered, your hair's all over the place and you're looking all sad and people are like, oh, what's wrong? Are you okay? Are you sick? No, I'm not sick. I've just been fasting the last three days. Like, oh, dude, wow. You better eat something. Poor you. The minute you do that, that becomes problematic. The Lord says, hey, if you're fasting, don't let anybody know. Take a shower. Put some gel, some mousse, you know, some makeup, whatever, whatever, whatever's needed. and And don't don't go out there looking all, oh, poor me, look at me, I'm suffering for the Lord. So that's a warning over and over in the Bible. Do we fast? Of course you can fast. And, and the, the recommendation is when you fast, it's usually for two things. One, you want to fast out of uh, penitence, like you, you feel bad about something that you're struggling with. And, and you fast because you're denying the flesh. And, and food is a, is a big, you could fast with many things, but usually food... You're kind of denying a very basic thing to your body, to your flesh, in order for you to focus on the spiritual. But you keep it to yourself. You don't go go around, you know, uh, parading that or acting like somehow that's uh, making you a better Christian. And so that's about fasting. Uh, The other thing is, is, if you desire a closer relationship with God, you're going through something, maybe a big decision that you want to make, and you want to just be focused on the Lord and really seek Him out, Uh, Those are generally the times that people want to fast. We're starting something new at church, and it's a big deal. You want to fast, and that's just something that complements your spiritual walk. It's not something to say, man, you know, I really want that new car, so I'm going to fast for seven days. Just water. And hope that the Lord will. See, that's when we start getting into this kind of weird realm. And so, if you want to fast, go for it. Uh, you want to be careful that fasting or anything that you do in the physical doesn't become something for which you think you're earning these spiritual points or you're impressing God or you're impressing other people around you because of what you're doing. So that's all I'm going to say about fasting, about the parable of the cloth and the wineskins. And I want to get back now into verses 27 through 32 where we're going to find our, the content for our message this morning. So. As I mentioned, uh, title, Feast for Friends. I don't know how many of you guys like feasts and banquets and parties, um, but we're going to look at one here, and it's a very interesting one. Uh, I said already that the main point is that God is glorified when his children, Christians, introduce their friends to the Lord. And I hope that through this message, we would all be encouraged to say, you know what, I'm not doing enough to really introduce my friends and my relatives and my loved ones to the Lord. Uh, If you're a believer, you probably, you you do realize that a relationship with Jesus Christ and having peace with God through Jesus is the most important and valuable thing that you have going in your life and ever will. And so naturally, you should want that for everybody else that you know, including your enemies. You should want that. And I believe you do. If you're a Christian, I have no, no doubt that you do want that at some level. But then how do I do it? You know, what if this, the enemy starts getting involved and your flesh and your selfishness, all that stuff starts getting involved and, and then we end up not introducing our friends, or relatives or loved ones to the Lord, which we should be doing. So with this message, I'm, hope that, I'm hoping that you will be encouraged as we see Matthew and use him as, a, as an example of how we should act and react towards our friends and the Lord. So, um, I have three points that I want to share with you. We already read it, um, so we're going to fill up this, complete this uh, phrase. To introduce friends to Christ, we must. In order for us to introduce people or our friends to Christ— we must, point number one, be friendly outside of church. You have to be friendly outside of church. If all of your friends are Christians, who are you going to witness to? Who are you going to bring to Christ? And, and, and listen, that might sound a little funny for some of us, but for some of us like myself that has grown up in church, most of my friends, my closest friends, are from church, and it's, I have to be intentional about creating and maintaining relationships outside of church. Like literally, you have to be intentional. To be honest with you, I'd rather hang out with you guys. If I invite people to my house, it's much easier to invite you than to invite friends and co-workers or, you know, old volleyball buddies and whatever it is. So... Think about that. In order for us to introduce friends to Christ, we must be friendly outside of church. And I think this is going to be a very practical message. Like, how many friends do you have outside of church? Who are they? Do they know you're a Christian? What's your relationship with them? Do you desire for them to come to know the Lord? Are you inviting them to church? We get these, you know, part of what we have these Father's Day, Mother's Day, special events, is, is for you to have a great opportunity to just say, hey, you wanna, we're going to celebrate dads on next month. I would love for you to come and just, you know, you're going to get a little gift, but gonna, there's going to be a message for dads. I think you could be blessed by that. How easy would that be? And they might tell you no, that's fine. But we have to be friendly outside of church. The Bible has a lot to say about that. I mean, if we're going to evangelize, if we're going to spread the gospel, it has to be to people that don't know the gospel. And so a couple of things that I want to share with you. Uh, in order for us to be friendly outside of church, you can't be selfish. You can't be selfish. And, and the reason why I have this point, be friendly outside of church, is because Matthew, uh, as we read, let me read those verses again. It says, after these things, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, whose name later becomes Matthew, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he left it all. Rose up and followed him, and immediately the next verse says, Then Levi gave him, Jesus, a great feast in his own house. So he follows the Lord, and then he says, I want to throw you a party. I'm going to have a feast in my house, and you're my guest of honor, Jesus. And it's not just that, it's not just going to be Matthew, his servants, and Jesus. But then it says, And there were a great number of tax collectors. Where'd they come from? Well, Matthew invited them, and who are the other tax collectors? He was a tax collector, so if other tax collectors are at his party, that means he invited his what? He invited his coworkers and others who sat down with them. And then the other thing is that he invited them, but we take this for granted. But they came. They came. More and more, you got to realize, right, if you're, like, out in the workforce, uh, for me, my experience was as a teacher for 20 years, had a lot of co-workers, got along great with, I would say, all of them. Um, There's probably one or two out there that may disagree, but for the most part, I don't recall having any issues with anybody. But our relationship kind of ended at work. You know, during the summer, our summer break, two months off, rarely did I spend time with them? A couple of guys, yeah. I've, I've spent some time with them, gone over to their house, invited them. Uh, but for the most part, it's kind of like uh, this dichotomy. You put people in a box, right? Like, uh, here's my church life, and then there's my work life over here. There's no interaction. Like, you keep the work people over there, and you don't want them coming to church because they're kind of weird. Or, or maybe you think like the people at church are kind of weird, so I don't want to introduce them to my buddies at school or whatever. And we have these compartments in our lives. And to a certain extent, that's kind of normal, but I think we have to come to the place where we say, hey, I want my coworkers to know the Lord. And and the way to do that is to invite them and introduce them to Christ. And what Matthew did here is, as soon as he followed the Lord, he threw a big banquet, a feast for the Lord, and invited all of his coworkers. And his coworkers came. That tells me he was a friendly guy. He was respected. If you throw a party, will people come? Or is that why you don't throw parties? Because you're not sure if people are going to come. You're like, hmm. But this is very, very important. And then let me ask you this question. Are you a selfish individual? When people invite you to a party, do you go? Or do they invite you and it's like, oh, man, that's like my one day off. I don't even like kids. Oh, what? They're probably going to drink there. And you start coming with all these excuses of why your time is so valuable that you can't go somewhere where they invite you. And so you don't even go to their invitations. Then you're not going to be a person that invites people to your place. And you might think, you're like, well, my place is really small. Well, invite them to the park. Invite them to whatever. Invite them to open gym. Invite them to... Come hang out at church. Invite them. All I'm saying is, if we're going to introduce people to Christ, we have to be friendly outside of church. And for most of us that are in church, you have to be intentional about that. And it's not easy, but we have to do it. We've got to do it. You can't be selfish. Um, think about it. Do you invite people? More and more, we live in this individualistic culture where everybody's like, yeah, I have a thousand friends on my phone. And you've never met any of them. I I do it sometimes. I'm talking to somebody like, yeah, I was just talking to so-and-so. I'm like, nah, I wasn't talking to them. I was texting back and forth. Very impersonal. You know, going to people's houses or inviting people over is more and more becoming a thing of the past. What does that mean? And I would say the only one that wins on that, as long as we kind of keep ourselves to ourselves, is the enemy. Because the church needs to go out. We don't want to build this holy huddle. We want to come here, gather, worship, encourage one another onto good works and love, and then go out and share the gospel and share God's love with people. But we have to be friendly outside of church. Do you invite people over? Do you go when you're invited? Let's look at some verses here before we go to the second point. Uh, the first one is Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. It says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. And the context there is that if you're going to win people, you've got to be smart and intentional about it. That was Colossians 4, 5. And then you have 1 Timothy 3, 7, where Paul tells Timothy, Moreover, he, a church leader, must have a good testimony among those who are outside, to the non-believers, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. He said, hey, if you're going to have somebody lead at the church, they better have a good reputation outside of church. You can't be this holy person at church, and then at work everybody knows you as the opposite. That disqualifies you from being a church leader. you got to be the same inside and outside of church. If you're, You should be friendly here. You should be friendly out there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says that you also aspire to live a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we command you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Paul had a major concern for the lost, for those on the outside. He's saying, great that you have a church, but you have to be very concerned with the people outside, the people at work. The people and your teammates, your co-workers, your friends and your relatives, those people that spend time with you, you are to be very concerned and intentional about who, how you represent Christ to them. That's a big challenge for all of us. Philippians chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Not just at church, but at work. You're not a complainer, are you? do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. It's not just at church that you're not supposed to complain and whine and and dispute and argue. At work, at school, that's how we're supposed to be because that's how we're going to be a light to this, what what he calls crooked and perverse generation. We're supposed to be radically different. If you're the only Christian at work, what a privilege. Then you should shine even brighter. We're not to blend in. We're not to act like everybody else. We are supposed to be radically different outside of church. Here, we should look like one another. Outside of church, you should be just this oddball, weird, loving, patient, never argues, always helping. They need a volunteer, you're right there. At work, they, nobody wants to do this one thing, you do it. That's how you're going to shine. That's how we're going to bring and introduce friends to our Lord Jesus Christ. Point number two. In order to introduce friends to Christ, we must, one, be friendly to out, outside of the church, and two, we must be followers of Christ. So the Lord sees Matthew. No doubt there they probably had been some kind of interaction before quite possibly, most likely, maybe Matthew already knew about Jesus. And so he's sitting at the tax office. And, and uh, I don't have time to, to uh, develop this, but you could just look up Matthew the Apostle and read up on him. But he, he was a Jew. And by his surname, Levi, that, that meant that he was probably should have been involved, like John the Baptist, should have been involved somehow in the temple work. And instead of being in the temple work, like John, who decided to hang out in the desert away from all this hip, religious hypocrisy, it seems that Matthew kind of did the same thing. He kind of turned his back, not on God, but he turned his back on this religious hypocrisy. And instead of being involved in the temple, he was working for the Romans. And so, tax collectors, publicans, they were hated. They were hated just because of who they were and what they did. So they were working for the Roman government, collecting taxes from their fellow Israelites or Jews, and then giving the money to Rome, which was, which was right. But the fact that they, as Jewish individuals, would do that, they, they were always seen as traitors. So that's who, who Levi or Matthew was. And so he's sitting there. He's working, literally, collecting taxes, And the Lord just comes by and says, follow me. And Luke takes the time to say here, verse 28, so Matthew left it all, rose up, and followed him. He basically quit on the spot, left all the money and said, fellas, I got a higher calling. I'm out of here. And then he texted them back and said, "Hey, by the way, but you still come to my party that I'm gonna throw for, for the Lord." But he rose up. He left it all. He walked away from it all. That's gonna be a reoccurring thing here in the Gospels. When somebody meets the Lord, they are no longer the same person. Their priorities change drastically. The opposite. He went from being concerned with money and doing. You know, a good job for the Romans and fitting in in that realm, and then just saying, "I'm done with this." I mean, a couple of thoughts that came to my mind. In order for Matthew to be a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector, he took a lot of heat for that. Always. The minute he took that job, he was, in, in many ways, turning his back to a lot of his friends, family, and in many ways, turning his back on his culture. So I'm saying that for him to be a tax collector, no matter how long he did it for, it cost him a lot to get there. He had sacrificed a lot to be in that position. It wasn't like, eh, he didn't like that job, and eh. I think he invested a lot, and he gave up a lot in order to have that position. So when the Lord says, follow me, and he leaves it all, he's leaving something for which he invested a lot into prior to that. He was willing to be called a traitor, scum, and then he says, that's fine. I'm going to leave. Even though it cost me that much, I'm going to leave it. People need to see that in us. If we're going to introduce our friends to Christ, there's got to be a change. There's got to be evidence. There's got to be a conversion. There's got to be a before and a current. And what we are now is not what we were before. Because that's what's going to attract people, beloved. You know, unfortunately, and we have to be very careful with this, the minute we start compromising in our church, watering down the gospel, making it all about you know, making it fun for you and making it like really interesting and entertaining for you, and it's like, go to my church, it's it's fun. Go to my church. The pastor's really weird, or whatever. If if you're inviting people for anything other than to come and meet the Lord, we're strained. We're strained. You want to be able to tell people, hey, I, I want to I introduce you to the one that changed my life. Let me tell you who I used to be. Let me tell you what I was involved in. Let me tell you the kind of person I used to be, and only by God's grace I'm different now. I want to introduce you to him. Not, hey, you have any problems? You know, Jesus will help you. If you only accept him, please Come introduce him to the King of kings and Lord of lords, to the Almighty. The one has with his power has transformed your life. The one that helped you just rise up, leave it all, and follow him. If we're going to introduce our friends to Christ, we must be friendly and we must be genuine followers. For people to see that we're different. Again, I'll say this really quick. Sometimes we're like, well, I don't know what to tell them. I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know how to evangelize. Those are just excuses, beloved. There's so much material online. You know, the way of the master, uh, Kirk Cameron. uh, There's tons. But really, all of that works if you have committed yourself to being a follower of Christ. And you can't stay where you were and follow the Lord. You literally have to leave it all and follow him. You say, Mike, does that mean I have to quit my job? No, it doesn't mean that. But it might mean that your job used to mean your identity. Your job used to be who you depended on for comfort. And you thought that the job was what provided for you. And you forgot that Jesus is your provider. You forgot that no matter what job you have, that your identity is in Christ. And so... Maybe you keep the same job, but now your attitude is completely different. Now you work for the Lord. You just happen to be an accountant or a lawyer, a doctor, a teacher. You don't get your identity from that. You don't idolize your job or what it provides you. You're grateful for it, but you realize that the source from which it came is your God and Father. Let me share some verses with you in regards to being followers of Christ. Luke 9.23 says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. John 10.27 says, My sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Luke 18.22, this is the opposite. When Jesus heard these things, he said to him, this rich young ruler You still lack one thing, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven and come follow me. And that rich young ruler who was unwilling to leave it on, follow him, put his head down and walked away, all sad, because he was unwilling to leave it all behind in order to follow Jesus. We have to make a decision, we have to come to grips and say, Who is Jesus? And if by God's grace you realize that he is the most valuable thing you'll ever see, ever have, ever experience, then it won't be a problem leaving anything and everything behind for him. Where are you at with that? We need to introduce our friends to Christ. We need to be friendly. We see that in Matthew. We need to be followers of Christ. We see that in Matthew. I mean, I would have to imagine if I was Matthew's coworker, and then this man just comes... And says, Follow me. And Matthew, sharp guy, awesome worker, just gets up, leaves everything and follows him. You better believe I wanna know who that guy is. I'm like, What? What do you mean you're leaving, Matt? You don't get out till six. He's like, I'm done. No, you don't understand. I'm done with this life. I'm gonna follow him for the rest of my life, no matter what. I'm gonna be like, What are you talking about? Put your pension. Your benefits. Your 401k. So I'm going to be super curious if I'm Matthew's co-worker. And then I get a text or a call and says, hey, Mike, you know that guy that I decided to follow? Yeah, yeah. I'm throwing a big party for him. Why don't you come on down? Get a chance to meet him. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'll be there. I have 100 questions for you, Matt. Isn't that awesome? The testimonies here. You have to be friendly. You have to be a follower of Christ, and you have to be focused on eternity. You have to be focused. He didn't just throw a party. Ah, retirement party. That's not what that was. That was, Lord, I want to honor you with a banquet, with a feast, and I want to invite all my friends so they can get to know you. See that inten- intentionality? I just f- made a decision to follow Christ it's the best thing I've ever done. I want everybody to know about it, and I want everybody, I want that for everyone else that I know. That's the heart of God. You see that in Cornelius in chapter 10 of Acts, when God says, send for Peter, and then Peter comes. Peter comes to Cornelius' house, centurion, an Italian, and then Peter goes in there, and he finds what? Cornelius sitting at the table by himself? It says he goes in, and he sees the full house, Cornelius had called all his relatives and his friends to come and hear from God as Peter was coming to his house. That's the heart that we need, beloved. Don't be happy coming to church by yourself. If you drive, bring somebody with you. If you have an awesome church, what you do? Tell people about it and bring them. Don't worry about everything else. Oh, but what if? What if they don't want to? What if they? What if they don't listen to, to the Enemy and don't listen to your selfish self. I know this is not that important, but you know what, what when you throw a feast, you know what happens? You spend a lot of money. I know you guys don't worry about that, especially teenagers like that's why is not important. But for when you're a parent and you throw a party for your kids, inevitably, yeah, you would love to do everything, and then you're thinking, like, man, that's gonna cost me. <laughs> Maybe not for you if you've got unlimited resources, but most of us, you know. How much you're gonna spend is a factor. And I love the fact that Matthew just, I don't think he cared about that. He's like, I'm gonna throw a feast. We're gonna have a good time. I, I, I bet you he didn't have cheap food. He probably just said, spend it all. This is the best feast and the most important where we we'll throw a feast for. So let's just bring out the good china and just invite everyone. Doesn't matter how much it costs, spend it all. I think that was his attitude. Because he was focused on eternity. He was friendly. He was a follower. He was focused on eternity. He wanted everybody to know what he had found. How are you with that? You got to be willing to spend some money. You got to be willing to sacrifice. You got to be willing. You have to be willing to spend some kind of resources. It doesn't have to be money because you're thinking like, well, I don't have any money. Well, you don't actually need money. But what kind of resources do you have? You have time? Go visit people. Let them know you're thinking about them. Let them know God loves them. Let them know you want to share God's word with them. What do you have? Whatever you have, God can use. You don't have to have a big house like Matthew apparently did. You don't have to have a lot of money like apparently Matthew did. But you do have to be friendly. You do have to be a genuine follower. And you have to be focused on eternity. You have to be intentional about wanting people in heaven or relationship with Christ. Look at these verses. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 says, If then, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. It's not about the party. It's about bringing people to Christ that they would meet him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 and seven, through 17, it says that he died for all. That those who live, that will be us, should live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let's live in the newness of this life. Let's be focused on eternity. Philippians 3:20, in case you forgot. Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm an American. I am an American. Before I was an American, I was Mexican. I was born in Mexico, became an American. And I appreciate that. I love this country. I'm grateful for this country. I'm grateful for the country of Mexico, but dual citizenship doesn't compare with my citizenship in heaven. That is the most important one. That is the only one that's going to last forever. We are to be focused on eternity, and so... We want to introduce our friends to Christ. And probably for most of us, kind of convicting, it's maybe, you know, none of us do a great job of inviting, maybe some of us invite them and they don't want to come because our testimony is not there. I'm saying a, a message like this, and I happen to think that every message that I bring, because it's, I believe, something that God wanted me to preach and share with you, I think all of these messages are, I mean, I think about them a lot more than you do, pretty sure, in preparation, I'm thinking like, man, there's so much stuff here. Like, Yeah, I want my friends, my co-workers, my team, everybody that I get to know. I want it to be my priority to want to introduce them to Christ. And there's a lot of work that needs to go into it. I have to be friendly. I have to be a genuine follower of Christ. I and mean, if you say, hey, I want to invite you to church. For what? So I could be like you? No thanks. Well, that's not going to work. We have to be genuine followers of Christ, and we have to be focused on eternity. Understand. See, if we get focused on the now, there's so many distractions. You got work, and you got bills, and you got relationships, and you want to lose weight, and you want to you want to improve this, and you want to do that, and you want to get better at this, and this is not working out right. You have your house, and your car, and your so many things that that eat at, away at your and your attention, and your time, and your energy, and we lose focus of the eternal things. But when you make the eternal things your priority, everything else falls into place. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things that we normally worry about will be added onto you. Do you believe that? A feast for friends. We need to start making some feasts for our friends. It doesn't have to look the same as Matthew But we have to be intentional about getting people to know our Lord Jesus Christ. Introduce them to him. Let God take care of the rest. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we're grateful to you for this beautiful morning and for allowing us to spend this time together in your word. We thank you for the example of Matthew who was willing to leave it all as our Lord called him to follow him. And that he had this heart to bring his friends and coworkers and everybody to come to his house to meet Jesus, our Lord. We pray that you would help us to be intentional about living out our faith. And a big part of that is to bring our loved ones, our friends, and even our enemies to know you as your Father and our Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We're grateful. We thank you. We pray that you would lead us and guide us today. Help us to live this out. Give us wisdom and discernment. And help us to be obedient to your word and be doers of it. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and eternal Savior. Amen. God bless you, beloved. You are dismissed.